Welcome to Social Fishtenstein, a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. This is the second episode of our special coverage of the impact of COVID-19 on North America's coastal fisheries and fishing communities. This is part of what they do. They, they adapt and we're seeing that in real time happen here. You know, the salmon are running. They, that's mother nature and she's not on pause. You kind of can't unsee what's happening right now. And this pandemic has exposed for people the cracks in the food system. I'm your co-host, Hannah Harrison, and today I'm joined by Emily D'Souza and Philip Loring. And if you're new to Coastal Roots, we are a relatively new international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are interested in supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world. We focus on storytelling, and this week, we'll be bringing you stories from the Local Catch Network and the changes being experienced by some of their members. But to talk about change, we first need to establish what it is that is changing. My name is Josh Stoll. I'm faculty in the School of Marine Sciences at the University of Maine. Back in 2011, I helped found the Local Catch Network, and it's a community of practice of people engaged in local and direct marketing of seafood. I'm super excited to get Josh on this program. He's a good friend and also an oyster farmer. To set the stage, there's really nobody better to talk to than Josh. I asked him to tell us a little bit about why the network came to be and why he thinks that this new model of fisheries is catching on. It came about because I had the privilege of getting to work with a group of fishermen and other graduate students in North Carolina and various community partners to help design something called a community supported fishery. And we piloted that in North Carolina. And um, it was really an incredible experience. Um, the motivation for me personally was really about getting access to local fresh seafood um, from people who fish. We piloted it with the expectation that we were trying to get 75 people to sign up. And in three weeks, we had 400 people sign up and had to send back a whole stack of checks. What was that like? It was just a really incredible experience. And in addition to having lots of people reach out to say, we want to buy seafood, uh, we had people from all over North Carolina and all over the U.S. and all over the world reach out to say, how do you do this? How do you build this sort of community seafood model? And also engage with people like yourselves from all over the world who are also thinking uh, creatively about how to rethink food systems and seafood systems. And that experience was incredible. And it's just continued to evolve since then. I also asked Josh about the role that he sees for the Local Catch Network during this challenging time. From my perspective, the small scale operators are incredibly creative and innovative and um, have consistently through time found novel ways to uh, solve problems and this is no exception and the network became a space for people to exchange ideas and lessons learned and challenges that they faced and yeah and it turns out there aren't a lot of those types of spaces 
And we're talking about a really big crisis that is affecting many parts of our system. Um, but fishermen and fishing, fishing women, it's, this is part of what they do. They, they adapt. And we're seeing that in real time happen here, where you're seeing businesses shift from focus on restaurants to focus on consumers to using uh, Facebook and uh, peddling product off, um, off their boats. And it gives me a lot of sort of confidence in our, the ability of the fishing industry to find ways to overcome this. You know, a lot of what Josh is saying there also really rings true to what I heard from Tracy Sylvester when I spoke with her last week, where she talked about her direct marketing work in Massachusetts. For Tracy, direct marketing her fish is a way for her to connect with customers and work around the often convoluted and opaque seafood supply chain. So I just have always felt like uh, direct marketing is a really, really good option for fishermen who want to try to fix the system in some small way um, because you're able to talk with your customers directly, educate them about what you're going through as a fisherman and everything that you know about the fish. And you're also able to understand what their needs are. We actually met Tracy and Josh through the Local Catch Network. And last year, Emily and I got to attend the Local Catch Summit in Portland, Oregon. The summit was a meeting of over 100 fishermen, direct marketers, researchers like ourselves, and other folks who were interested in sustainable seafood and shortening supply chains. You know, I was super jealous that I couldn't go to this with you guys. I hear that the food, in addition to the conference, was amazing. So you've got to take a minute to tell me about it. So I grew up eating seafood multiple times a week my whole life. Grew up in, on, in a coastal community in Alaska, lots of fish. I have to say that that summit had some of the best seafood, hands down, that I have ever had in my entire life. And that's like, that's really saying something. I am still dreaming about that seafood from the summit, especially some of those, uh, some of those shrimps that we were frying up. And of course, Josh's oysters that he brought for us all to try. It, it truly was incredible. It was every day, uh, decision-making process in what amazing seafood product do I eat right now? Or should I go over there and try that one? Should I go try that one? I think for me, the thing that stood out the most was getting to try some really cool kelp products and then mm. watching somebody crack open a swordfish vertebrae and what? use the bone marrow from inside to make little marrow shots that had like a little bit of herbs and a, like a flavored olive oil. They were incredible. Okay. You guys are killing me. Let's get uh, back to the topic at hand. So who else did we talk to? Another person that we met at the summit was Sonia Strobel, the co-founder and CEO of Skipperados, a community-supported fishery that's been operating out of Vancouver, BC since 2008. When I met Sonia in Portland, she shared a little bit about Skipperados business and what motivated her to pursue a direct marketing model. So Skipperado, we started it in 2008. Um, and the idea was to really try to create a fair market for the catch of my father-in-law, Otto Strobel, and, uh, and also for his son, my husband, Sean. And so it's grown from there. Skipper Otto is now a collective. Uh, last year, we were 18 fishing families. It kind of varies year to year, but about 18 fishing families last year. And our members are all across Canada. We have... Um, Oh, I think 3,100 members right now. Our members pre-purchase a share in whatever size share they think they're going to need for the year. And then they go to the online store and pick and choose what seafood items they'd like for uh, pickup. Um, uh, one of many different pickup opportunities throughout the year. 
I asked Sonia if she was concerned about some of the fishing season delays that we're hearing about and how a delayed or canceled fishing season in BC would impact their CSF business. Yeah, it's interesting because as it turns out, the system that we built, you know, almost 12 years ago now turns out to be quite resilient in this type of global pandemic. Fishermen that we know have lost their markets, whether they were selling directly into restaurants or they were selling to overseas markets, those markets have dried up. So, you know, we're lucky we already have um, a local market. Everybody who is in the fishing industry knows it's this inherently uncertain business. So every year there's something like, oh, well, you know, last year was a really low year for sockeye salmon on the BC coast. And we, the amount of sockeye we anticipated um, catching was was uh, much, much higher than we actually got. We actually got very little sockeye last year, but it didn't hurt our business because our members understand that they're gonna eat with the ecosystem and they're gonna choose other things. So I feel like that same thing is in place for this year. It was uplifting to hear how optimistic she was despite all the uncertainty currently surrounding the industry. We also chatted about the long-term outlook of the seafood industry and if these shifts that we're seeing to a localized seafood market and direct marketing would stick in a post-pandemic world. I do think it's very realistic to think that this will be a change in how people think about food systems because you kind of can't unsee what's happening right now. And this pandemic has exposed for people the cracks in the food system and the cracks in the, you know, where you get your food or where your dollars go or in uncertainty or just ex it's exposed um, the fact that we are vulnerable. Even though things have looked a certain way for a really long time doesn't mean that we're not vulnerable to, to, to change, to unforeseen and changing circumstances. And while there will be some reversion to the way things used to be um, when things normalize again, I think that people will get the hang of things like CSFs. They'll have an experience like, oh yeah, you know what? Actually, that may be different, but it's not that different. It's not that difficult for me to make this behavioral shift now. I just made a whole ton of behavioral shifts. You know, all my meetings are Zoom meetings now. And it turns out we can change. And so I don't think it's just going to revert back to the way things were. So this has me thinking, Skipperados is unique in their size and scale, and there are also a lot of CSS out there who operate at a much smaller scale. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So I want to introduce you to some folks who direct market their salmon at a much smaller community-based scale. This is Emma and Curtis Kramer, who own Straight to the Plate, a direct marketing business in Alaska. We met them at the Local Catch Summit last year, where they told me a little bit about their fishery. My name is Emma Kramer. My name is Curtis Kramer and our business is Straight to the Plate. Straight to the Plate was a catchy phrase that as we were out fishing we knew we wanted to focus on selling direct and it seemed to convey the meaning of here we are on the boat and we bring it straight to your plate. We're based out of Alaska and we fish the Copper River District in Prince William Sound. We've mostly realized our market is within a 40 mile radius of our small town that has one grocery store and absolutely no fresh fish. Um, our season starts earlier than fish are caught in our, our region, so sometimes our local Alaskan neighbors can come get the first salmon in the state. Um, we have had a lot of success in our local communities, and although we also see how we could grow right now, just in our model, we, we realize we should just stay small. So, Hannah, you and I know this because we worked in Alaska for many years, and you're from Alaska, but a lot of our listeners are not going to quite understand what she said there about not having fresh fish at the store. 
everybody in Alaska tells you the market's out of state. Ship it out, you get more money, and that's just like the driving marketing mentality. And and meanwhile, our population grows. It, our road systems are tougher to get to where you want to go fish. People work longer hours, and you know they are actually looking for places to buy salmon. Yep. Our market's right under our feet where we are. Some locals that come up and say, hey, I'm not going to be able to fish this summer. I'll take 30 fish. One time we brought 75 fish back, and they were all gone in like six hours. And people come back weekly being like, wow, it's so awesome. I can buy a fresh fish tonight because I want to eat it, or I got family coming in next Saturday. Are you going to be there? So that's our, you know, really... Our, our local communities kind of, would you say, you know? It's, it's the easiest market for us to reach at this point without investing in any more. We, we have high overhead with our fishing permit and our fishing boat, and we have this 20-foot box trailer. We park it right in front of the Safeway store that doesn't offer any fish, luckily for us. And yeah. we just have a, a presence there. And by doing that, this is like the fourth year of us doing that. Yep. and people say where's that where's those people that sell fish or you know they'll they'll look us up in other ways and knowing that if we bring back 70 fish and we sell most of them that's a main we can maintain whatever we didn't sell we'll take that into process or to smoke and so we're sort of limited you know by how much fish we carry in our tote in the back of the truck and that's actually a helpful thing Now, a lot has obviously changed since we did those interviews. So this week, I caught up with Emma again from her home in South Central Alaska. We've noticed a lot of different changes with with COVID-19. Back when our state, Alaska, was one of the first to to really set the hunker down standard, we were right after Washington. So that was early March. And as a lot of fishermen do, if you don't fish all season, you probably have to have an off-season job. So my off-season job was substitute teaching, and I did lose that job. And our kids were home. So I shifted into, you know, homeschooled mom cooking a couple meals a day mode. And my husband was already getting our boat engine uh, back into the boat. He'd taken it out to repair some parts of it. And so he had a focus. And the first thing that we started to realize, okay, this is going to affect us was when one of our biggest um, contracts that we sell whole salmon, whole sockeye to, they had to say that they're closed for the whole season. And they're a, a rafting and hiking and um, outfitter. And we were part of their salmon bake raft trip. So we'd sell them, you know, five to $7,000 worth of salmon over the past five years. And they are going to call it quits for this year and just, you know, look towards next year because there's just so many things with permitting and staff. And so, so they made that call. That trickled down to affect us restaurants are just beginning to reopen. So we haven't even reached out to folks. If we were more sure of our side of it, I, we might've reached out to them to let them know we'll be there, but we weren't sure. And as we started to tune into what the fisheries um, were doing and what the communities were doing, um, we were a little bit nervous, but also, you know, the salmon are running. They, that's mother nature and she's not on pause. So if we were, Selling actively right now, we would probably notice more of a difference as we're not going to be back with our catch till July or till June, you know, and at that time, people are probably venturing out a little more to the stores, but definitely there is right now a response to getting food delivered. And we had just delivered the last 50 pounds of last year's catch. When I put it on Facebook, I had about 15 people want some. So we drove door to door and did some curbside delivery of that. And of course, that response had never been so immediate and so 
easily dealt with. Everybody was at home. It didn't happen over sure. the course case of a week. Like we delivered it all in a day, which was fantastic. It's a two part thing for our state. We're, we're probably going to really want to support local, but we're also maybe not going to have as much spending money and buying power. Um, our state is going to take a hit with the oil prices dropping and with tourism. And my town in particular is, uh, it's all about tourists. And so if we don't have that dynamic, we'll probably shift and really more focus on our local folks. And that's when we say, hey, bring your cooler and we'll load you up five whole fish and they know what to do. Their story is really making me miss Alaska and and miss what it was like to be so close both to the resource that I was depending on, the fisheries, but also the many fishermen and women that I had the great opportunity to know while I lived there. It's also reminding me of a thought that Josh offered in the interview from earlier that I think it would be really nice to end with. In this time of social distancing, there's sort of a need to be close. Being part of communities is really valuable. Um, and whether it's virtual communities like we now have to operate in or, or these sort of in-person communities, I think it's really, really crucial. And partly because I think it often feels isolating doing this type of work. You know, you're, you're in a local community, you're sort of, sort of the daily grind is happening. It's refreshing to step out and remember that the work you're doing is about building healthy food systems, about building healthy communities, and it's, and it's not just about peddling product. Social Fish Dancing will be bringing you the voices and stories of small-scale fishermen and women from around North America for the foreseeable future of the COVID-19 pandemic. These interviews and episodes are being recorded week to week, and we aim to bring you a new one every Tuesday. If you'd like to find a local fisherman near you, visit the Local Catch website at www.localcatch.org. To connect with the people you've heard on this podcast, including fishermen, visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. Coastal Roots Radio is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph. We also receive support from the American Anthropological Association. Today we heard from Joshua Stoll, Tracy Sylvester, Emma Kramer, and Sonia Strobel. You're listening to Just a Blip by Andy G. Cohen, available at the Free Music Archive. See you next time. <laughs>